All right, welcome to everyone to the year that was dot dot dot. This year that we are discussing is 1997. Those of you that are um, regular listeners to the program understand what we're doing on this show. We're discussing the year that was 1997 with the major um, products in wrestling at that time, which was WCW and the WWF. Um, we're going through the year discussing the week to week programming on that involved those shows. So basically WCW Nitro and WWF Raw, um, and then their pay-per-views and TV specials that they air, because eventually we're going to get to a couple clash of the champions, which will be in, which will be enjoyable. Um, where we're at now is we are going into WWF cold day in hell. So we're not going to discuss any Rawler nitro this week we're just going to discuss the pay-per-view um this pay-per-view is actually very good i enjoyed it um there's a lot of happening i shouldn't say a lot of happenings on it but there's there there's some there's some good stuff in here um my guest hosts this week are mark brew hello mark yo 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 he is on the. He is the host of the Indie Spotlight, where he just interviews um, up and coming wrestlers and maybe wrestlers that have been on the indie scene for a very long time. Journeyman type wrestlers. It's it's very good to let everyone know that indie wrestling is out there and these guys are out there busting their asses and gives them the opportunity to tell their story and their journey to where they got. It's like my guest last week said, he said, indie wrestling's like Fight Club. We don't tell you about Fight Club. You just find out about it. And when, once you find out about it, <laughs> you're hooked. And then my other host for the evening is Nate Maxson, my brother. Hello, everybody. And, uh, Thank you for having me, having me again, Aaron, and everybody. If I sound depressed, I'm not depressed. I'm not going to Epstein myself. Don't worry. I am a little <laughs> under the weather today, and uh, my, so my voice is not what it normally is, but um, that is what it is. I'm looking forward to talking about the Cold Day in Hell pay-per-view, and I'll get the name right this time. <clears throat> I appreciate I that. I thought you were just on Morocco. In it. <laughs> now he, it's, he, it's all coming down. He was on the Oregon Trail and got tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, tuberculosis Nate is with us. Um, but like I said, guys, we're um, we're going into the pay-per-view of the cold day in hell. Um, like I said, usually on the show, we discuss two different programs, but I've tried to um, just limit when there's a pay-per-view to not trying to do two shows and a pay-per-view because it seems to like go too long and who wants to listen to me fucking ramble on um if you guys have anything you want to plug or talk about before we go into that if I not know, I, I i do not i will if i want to i'll record something later and throw it in here i don't have the uh i don't have the voice to do it <laughs> okay i'll just be i'll be sneaky very sneaky sir well very beings sneaky. that we're not gonna go over them considering because they were dark matches the dark matches for this one was Rockabilly 
with the Honky Talk Man, and he defeated Jesse James in three minutes and thirty six seconds. And the other one was the Legion of Doom versus Owen and the British Bulldog for a tag team uh, championship. And the Legion of Doom won via disqualification. All right. See, I didn't know. I, I actually put that the free for all was Rockabilly and Jesse James, but I didn't know about the um, LOD Owen Bulldog match. So thank you for that. I'll appreciate it. Um, Not a problem. What we're going to do here is we're going to see if Nate taught me well. And we are going to go ahead and play the opening um, video of Cold Day in Hell. So you guys can kind of see what happened when, like, how the pay-per-view started. So... Are we ready for that, guys? Yes. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. As we sit, as we sit on the edge... Of Armageddon, I am not afraid. There will be mercy. There will be no remorse. Is good shit. It is. Yes, it is. Aaron, that was the first thing on my notes was that the beginning montage was good as shit. Yes. Um, but like I was like, what I put in my notes is that um, the WWF and even WWE now they are. Um, unparalleled in what they can do with hyping a fucking show. Like, nobody does it better. I know Kevin Dunn. People talk about him and say what they want to say about him, but and 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 he might not be the guy behind all that shit. But the WWF, nobody hypes their shit better than. Hey. At the at this point, I mean, I don't know about I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say ninety seven yet, but at this point, I mean, if you're looking at it in twenty twenty two, WWE their production is on their their video production is is on par, if not as good as NFL films. Oh, definitely, I agree. Um, I like I like the fact that they you know theme the pay-per-view and, and actually, you know, build off of 
a storyline that that right there goes leaps and bounds to set the tone and you know pretty much just put you in a certain kind of realm to feel a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that, and I like I said, it it it's, it told you if you hadn't watched the show for the most part what the main story is going into it. It's Austin Taker. They've been fucking with each other. And Steve Austin is like the one guy on the roster that's not afraid of the undertaker. Um, your opening Matt, well, your um, commentating team for this show, um, Vince isn't on it, which is weird because he's been, it's been a three man team for most of our shows that we've been listening to or reviewing in 97. Um, it's Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. There's no Vince McMahon. So Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, they're kicking off the show. They're hyping us up. There's no better, in my opinion, hype man for a pay-per-view than Jim Ross. So mm. I'm not balking it. I'm just saying it's kind of weird that Vince isn't there. Um, the opening match is... Flash Funk versus Triple H with China. So that's how we're opening the show. Not a bad way to open it. If I, rem- um, if I remember, if I remember correctly, they give Flash Funk a good long intro for this one. Yes. Um, and it's very good. Um, I like Flash Funk's theme. I like his entrance. Um, he doesn't have the Funkettes with him, and the reason is because. Flash Funk was worried that China might, you know, beat up the Funkettes. So he left them in the back. Um, <laughs> Gotta protect your hoes, dog. They mention that Triple H apparently flies in um, personal airplanes with JFK Jr. It's a strange Which, thing to good bring thing up. He, yeah, good thing he really didn't do it because he might not be around now. Because <laughs> JFK Jr. apparently wasn't the like the greatest pilot in the world because that's how he fucking died. Um, so good thing Before that was we go into, into talking about this match, though, I just want to say the fact that it's on Mother's Day and the irony of men in tie heats. <laughs> wrestling around on Mother's Day. I bet there were some happy mothers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like I said, Triple H apparently is flying coast to coast with coast to coast with JFK Jr. is going to wind up on the the cover of George Magazine. And like I said, thankfully that did not actually happen, and that was just them doing kayfabe. They point out that the Hart Foundation has bought five front row seats through a scalper. Um, the match is going on. They wind up on the floor. China clotheslines Funk from behind from behind the referee's back. And um, Jerry Lawler asks, um, does China wear boxers or briefs? <laughs> And Jim Ross 
says maybe we should ask Eddie Murphy. I don't know what that meant. I don't I don't get that one either. The boxers are reef things is obviously a reference to Bill Clinton, but I don't know what the uh, the Eddie Murphy joke is. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, did Eddie get like? Ah, oh, I think I know what it is. <laughs> I think I know what it, like like they were talking the boxers or briefs things because they were trying to like imply that China had a dick. I remember what the Eddie Eddie Murphy thing is. Eddie was caught with that transvestite. Oh shit. I forgot I forgot all about that. I forgot all about that. Remember that? Yeah, no, I don't. The only one I, I remember is Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I yeah, I forgot all about the Eddie Murphy thing. Yeah, Eddie was hmm. supposedly caught soliciting sex from a transvestite. I don't Whoops. know why that just popped into my head, but that's what that was. Um, Eddie Murphy Raw, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> like a nasty Raw. Um, <laughs> they also, like, they're doing a lot of pop, a lot of pop culture references in this. Um, they state that Triple H has apparently been consoling Kathy Lee Gifford because Triple H is living in Greenwich. He's apparently been seen consoling his neighbor, Kathy Lee Gifford, because of um, her husband, sleeping Frank, sleeping with a flight attendant. Um, there was a timestamp yeah. here, and, and, and Nate said I kind of messed it up a little bit, so I won't play it. But um kind of want to play it, though, because it's funny. All right, you're gonna hear some you're gonna hear some commentary from Jerry Lauder and Jim Ross that I think is really funny. So, ready? Ready. China Helmsley is in control of this matchup game. Oh, come on, give Hunter a little credit. Well, he's got hey, he's a great athlete. I've always said that, but it's obvious that she is a not only a distraction but a a physical presence. Now in, in Helmsley's matches, and I've heard that at some live WWF events, she's been getting really involved from a physical sense. I think she's got a boyfriend. I don't, she needs a man friend. Are you volunteering? <laughs> well, I mean, you are. Oh, a king. Come on, Hunter. You guys will make a cute couple. Yeah. Helmsley buries a knee to the abdomen. Hold on, hold on. But play play the next thing that he says about uh about Flash Funk only being able to get his foot up. Oh, now I gotta do more work. Hold on. Yeah, hit the hit the damn play button. Switch the goddamn button. <laughs> flash Funk, and we hope folks to be talking to Ken Shamrock in a few minutes. Get an update. That must not have been the the, the part. Elsie buries a knee to the abdomen of Flash Funk, and we hope folks. So that wasn't it. Ken Shamrock in a few. Nah, minutes. I think it's further. Than Get an update from Ken. Because I I even put that in my notes. What what he says? He's like uh. This is a Jim Ross says that Funk got the only thing up that he could, and that was his foot. 
and we've officially <laughs> found that Archie Mitchell's first customer when he goes to sell a dick pills will be platform. <laughs> I just thought that shit was funny when Jim Ross was like, she, she, or, or Lawler was like, she don't need a boyfriend. She needs a man friend. I love those that man friend shit. Yeah, that, that. that man friend shit cracks me up. Um, so Triple H ends up bumping Flash Funk outside of the ring, face first into the ramp, and that leads to his downfall. Triple H ends up getting the pedigree on um, Flash Funk and pinning him one, two, three, and then. Um, Mark, you told me you watched this show, correct? Yep. Nate, you've watched this show plenty of times. Is it not one of the most awkward? Is it not one of the most awkward things in the world when China is walking around the ring with With fucking two cars in? Yeah, like in, in her arms, and his legs are completely erect. Like his legs are completely stiff. He knows he knows he's gonna get dropped on his dick and balls, and he's like, I don't know if this chick knows how to do it. So he's just like, I like. It's the most awkward thing you could see because nobody would ever be held up like that and be completely, right. completely stiff like that, and it's so fucking weird. Uh, um. And China ends up crotching um, Flash Funk on the top rope. Triple H laughs, and they all leave together. Um, the match itself was really good, I thought, and, and I think they did. I think Triple H and Two Cold work very well together. Yeah, that, that's in my notes too. That there was a really get great in ring chemistry between the two, and but like the way they did Flash Funk's entrance, I almost got like that Shaft vibe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I like Two Cold's entrance is one of the actually the theme, the style of it, and everything like that. Like. It's an is an under it's an underrated presentation in my opinion. Right. Um. You said they mentioned and, and if he would have been able to cut the promo. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say like um, two colds going on shoot interviews and shit and said that um, Godfather like stole his gimmick or whatever. And I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm saying that he didn't steal the gimmick. He just did it better because he might have not been the better worker, but he was the better personality. Yep. Right. Like if Scorpio would have been able to cut the promo and project the personality that Charles Wright did, that would have been him. You know Right, but in the Attitude Era, and in this and, and in this ninety seven, it was like in this year of ninety seven, it was turning into not what you not. It's 
not what can you do in the ring, but what can you do on the mic? If that makes sense. Yeah, it's more right. it's more uh, it's more sizzle than steak. Yeah. I uh, I also call it, you know, they reference Donald Trump also. And uh the only other notes I really have on it is that early Hill Hunter was golden. I mean, I don't know why I enjoy him as that arrogant, you know, snobby prick, but I mean Hey, I guess because the look and all, it, it just fit. And uh, I also loved how he hit the top rope, belly to back, to set up the pedigree. I thought I thought that was like a high impact move before your finisher, boom, you know, ensures the win. And it, it was just you know good chemistry, and that will very well put together match. Yeah, that that Hunter Hearst Helmsley gimmick worked great because um, he sold it as like in '95 it was like snobbish or whatever. But we're getting to the point where he's being a snob, but he's also starting to um, work dirty and, and be a little more aggressive and shit like that. Like I I think his whole um wearing the the horse rider pants and, and bowing to people and shit like that, it, it was a good gimmick. And obviously it had to evolve eventually. Right. But it it, it worked and and he was a snob, but he was also kind of like an asshole. I, I know snob and asshole are, are the same thing, but they're synonyms. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide how I want to explain that character to people that might not know what it was. He was a character that when he started, he was like snobbish and prudish and didn't want to like um get down and dirty. But the minute he started getting slopped. And all this other shit was happening to him. He was like, now I got to fucking start getting aggressive. You know what I mean? Like his character wasn't aggressive at the beginning, but it started getting more and more um, rougher around the edges, if that makes sense. Right. Nate, anything on that? Nope. Um, The next thing we see is... um, Footage from the UFC with Ken Shamrock. Um, this was the um, emphasy of, e- of the UFC. It's something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it was um, the most enjoyable I ever felt about the UFC was like this 95 through like 97 where they'd like take some big fat guy. Like, okay, we got this big fat guy. It's like a sumo dude. And let's have him go fight this guy that knows Taekwondo. And they just throw like two random dudes in the fucking cage and see what they're going to do. It, it Like UFC started out as mixed fighting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's also like tough man competition. It's also, it's also a very missed opportunity for... Vince McMahon in his lifetime, because um, at one point 
UFC was actually losing money and on the verge of going under. And Shane McMahon told Vince he should buy it. And Vince didn't think, didn't think anything, didn't think anything of it. Now it's a $5 billion company, you know? So missed opportunity for Mr. Embezzlement. <laughs> He'd have had more hush money to offer. Yeah. <laughs> He could have paid. He could have paid Paige Van and Zant off. Um, but they, like I said, they showed footage of Shamrock. It is UFC days, and then they interviewed him, and he said he's in the zone, and he won't be shaken because later on, Ken Shamrock will be facing Big Van Vader in their um, basically. No holds barred match. Um, the next actual in ring competition is um, a match between Mankind and Rocky Mayavea. Um, during the entrances of man, during the entrances of Mankind, they recap the Undertaker Mankind. Fire feud. Um, Rock cuts a more, a little more aggressive promo than what he normally cuts. They're trying to like basically say that Rocky Maivag is acknowledging that he came in as feeling like a blue chipper and this, that, and the other thing, and now he's lost his belt. So now, so now he has to. Um, so now he's not fight harder. He's just blue. Yeah, he's just blue. <laughs> Sad Rock. He's upset about his failures, and he's going to learn from them. Um, the match is going on. Um, I think, honestly, guys, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Honestly, tell me if I'm wrong. I think if they would have tried harder with both of these guys, they probably could have got a lot more out of them in the future. Yeah, that was a that was a, they, they, it fell flat. Sorry. They, they could they could have had some great main events. <clears throat> yeah, like I think they could have had some like no holds barred matches. Some you they know, could have got more out of these half, guys. Halftime uh, matches where you no know, one gets pinned by a forklift. <laughs> But in all seriousness, I think these guys um, really had a good match on this show. Um, Mankind hit like a fucking crazy cannonball off of the the ring onto the floor. Um, Rocky ends up hitting a rock bottom on the ramp, which they're really trying to put forth... um, the Rocky Maivare character being more aggressive. Um, Rock ends up hitting his crossbody. Mankind rolls through the crossbody and ends up getting the mandible claw on Rocky. And Rocky ends up losing via referee's decision. What you guys think of this match? Nah, it, he won by a technical submission, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I think the like, the ref called it basically. Right. 
I love the finish of it. Like, he goes up for the cross body and mankind kisses him with the mandible claw and, you know, all that. You can still see uh, some shades of how green the rock actually was right here. But, I mean, it, it wasn't nothing that somebody with the in-ring experience of Foley couldn't, you know, cover up. And you can also see that they have a chemistry that's going to work well for them, all joking aside in the future. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, Rock, that's, that's, like, that's one of my favorite tag uh, teams. Oh, definitely. And, and talking about, like, people booing the Rock and not really being behind, like, the blue chipper thing. And obviously that was it. I, I don't want to say that it sucked. Because if they would have done that in like ninety three, ninety four, it would have been a it, it would have got over. You know what right. I mean? But at this time, that's not what pe- that's not what their fan base wanted. But um, I don't think he gets talked, and I should. It sounds stupid saying it because he became like one of the biggest stars in the fucking world. But I don't think he gets talked about enough as being a guy that was just like, once he hit the fucking ring, he was like a duck to water. You know what I mean? Like people talk about like Angle, Orton, and guys like that. But it's like Rock, even in 96, 97, he didn't have shit matches. Right. No, not at all. I, he he was just really fucking good, and I enjoyed him a lot. And I thought this was a really good match, and they told a good little story in the match, in my opinion. Yeah. I apologize, guys. There's not a lot of fucking humor in this show. It's just like... I like a bad show sometimes because I gotta fucking make fun of it, but this cold day in hell fucking show is really good. Um, yeah, I know it's hard to pick pick apart, you know, bullshit when there's not a whole lot of it. But I mean, you keep going. The next thing on the match, and we're gonna get there. Hmm? You keep you keep going to the next match. We're gonna get there to that to that shit we can pick apart. Okay. Um, the next match is the gauntlet match with Ahmed Johnson facing um, the Nation of Domination. Um, the Nation of Domination is claiming that Farouk is still hurt. Savio has an ankle injury and Crush has flu-like symptoms. So if they lose... They got every they're, excuse they're, they're being old school heels. They're saying, oh, if we lose... They have, they have every excuse in the book. So if Crush gets pinned, well, he's got the flu. And Savio's ankle's fucked up. My shoulders still hurt. Um, Gorilla Monsoon comes out, and as the Nation of Domination is walking to the ring, and he says that the NOD cannot stay at ringside. They have to remain up at the ramp. And... As the falls happen, they can run down and, and start their um, 
entry into the match, but they cannot be at ringside. I have said for the longest time, and Nate will know what I'm saying, that I thought Jim Ross was just being Jim Ross and not trying to make euphemisms. But I think in this match, it made me decide that Jim Ross knew exactly what he was doing. He was making these jokes on purpose because Jim Ross says this line. He says, the Big Johnson is hard to handle. Oh, I got that in my notes. <laughs> he says, the Big Johnson is hard to handle. You know what I'm if talking about. If that wasn't about, an end, though. So I always just thought that he was aloof to what he was saying, but he now... Now that I heard that, I was like, this fucking guy knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. <laughs> the Big Johnson is hard to handle. You know what I'm talking about, King. <laughs> Another thing I wrote in my notes was not even the Nation of Domination wanted to fuck with Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> so, so um, Crush... This is actually kind of like a cool little spot. Crush goes for his heart punch, and Ahmed, Ahmed ends up um, um, getting away from it and hitting his spin wheel kick, and he pins Crush. One, two, three. Savio's up next. Um, Savio um, ends up hitting Johnson with a chair, and he gets disqualified. Uh, and then Farouk comes out and his shoulder is su- supposedly injured. Um, but we find out that he's been lying and his shoulder's fine. Johnson ends up hitting a Pearl River, Pearl River plunge, excuse me, on Farouk. Farouk kicks out. Um, and then Farouk ends up chop blocking. Ahmed Johnson hitting the Dominator on him, and your winners are the Nation of Domination. I thought it was cool that the NOD ended up going over, because it was like nope. The thought process in it was, oh, Ahmed Johnson's going to run through these guys and end up winning, but at the end of the day, Farouk's finally healed, so healed, not a heal, but Farouk's finally like this should have been something that happened three months ago, but since everybody kept fucking hurting everybody, it's like I it didn't happen, but now I finally feel like this Nation of Domination Ahmed Johnson feud can start finally getting some legs. Yeah, but like then you know how Nate says that you know that's where you and him gonna part ways. That's where me and you're gonna part ways. I thought that Ahmed should have went over. Like you're pushing this whole thing. I used to be in the gang, you know all that. You got this gang of Nation of Domination versus Ahmed. You, you know, push that angle where you know they get over on the building. 
And then a few weeks, and then within a few weeks, they break up the nation anyway. Right, like make it make sense to why it happens. My my other notes I got on this is D'Lo Brown looked like Jane Girl Jones in Coming to America. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got that Ahmed botched the scissors kick on Crush. And you would figure that they would make his trunks where they wouldn't ride up his ass, but Lone. you get like you get like six minutes of that shit. Um, not sure that Farouk and Ahmed aren't actually related because you know they both mush mouthly say something. <laughs> um, and the the last thing that I got is Clarence Mason looks like a bald Kevin Hart with glasses. <laughs> That's way more notes than I had. But Ahmed's tights have been run up his ass before Farouk got there. Like, that yeah, was I know, but I mean, I guess, you know, it was pay per view. They had to give him something. Here's the ass cheek, Mother's Day. Oh, oh, no, don't feel bad. Um, the next match, the next match, I feel, I feel just as bad about that one as I do this one. Um, we're gonna roll into a pretty bad match here, but it's um the next thing we got is Todd Pettengill, who, when I saw him, I was, I was like, oh man, I thought he was gone. But he's still till he's still here till August. Um, yeah, he's um, he's because he's Pettengill a and, Yeah, we're gonna get there. I'm gonna talk about how fucking awesome that goddamn key segment is. <laughs> talk about that. Ninety-seven. Aaron loved the nineteen ninety-seven SummerSlam key segment with fucking Sable and Sunny. Dear Lord. <laughs> Um, Pettengill interviews Vader. Vader is going to be going into a um, match with Ken Shamrock. Um, the only way in this match is by submission or knockout. But, but on the, the graphic, graphic said, uh, right, they, on the graphic they said, what was that, eight second uh, stand, standing? Like, like an eight, an eight second not like an eight second knockout or whatever, right. an, eight se- an eight second standing knockout, and right. um, they end up saying that 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 that's not a thing. Like don't 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 worry about that. There's, there's yeah, we no got we got it right up here in front of your face, so, but don't pay no attention to it. Yeah. So in other words, they couldn't figure out how to make that fucking work in the match. Um, and I've said this over and over again, and we'll talk about it when we get to the main event. At this time, I really do believe, and I'm thankful that Steve Austin came around, even though I'm a Ken Shamrock fan. Ken Shamrock was supposed to be the fucking guy in this company in 97. And 
I believe that if Steve Austin wouldn't have became what he was, whatever this match these guys put out was going to be something that the WWF was going to try on a more consistent basis. Yeah, cause is this this is pre? Uh, well, yeah, obviously. Never mind. I won't. I won't even bring them up. But I'm pretty sure you know what I was just gonna say. With the whole the beast. Oh, what were you gonna say? Dan Severn. I was gonna ask. Yeah, like I, I really think him and Severn. But. I just remember Shamrock is just now debuting. Yeah, Severn hadn't been there yet, but I really do believe that Vince McMahon and the WWF didn't see anything in in, in Austin and thought, oh, Ken Shamrock's the guy. And if Shamrock, if the Austin thing wouldn't have happened and Shamrock, they, they, they would have put what they had in their minds behind Shamrock we would have seen more of this fucking shoot or not shoot this fake shoot fight shit. And I hate, I hate when wrestling tries to do fake shoot fighting. I I mean, there's a way to do it and it be properly done, but like not in the sense of the fucking brawl for all. And not in the sense of this bullshit between Shamrock and Vader, but there is a way to do it and it be properly done. That's um, <clears throat> that is more of a a Japanese flavor, right? You know, that's you know, like the the King's Road style, the strong style. Um, that's and I don't know, and I kind of agree with Aaron. I don't know even if even if some of us sitting here might enjoy some of it, which I don't. I don't always. I'm kind of half and half on it. I don't think that could have worked for an American audience, though. I just don't, especially especially the audience that Vince McMahon conditioned to enjoy sports entertainment. Right. To, to try to go to more of a strong style like that, I just at, at this time. Uh, at this, at this, in this moment in time in 1997, I just don't think it would have worked. They probably would have went out of business. I think, I think too. I, I was sitting there thinking <clears throat> about this, like, why wasn't Shamrock, you know, really, really all that successful in the WWF? And I thought too was it's because they strapped him with that goody two shoes thing. You know what I'm saying, like. It's, it's, it's kind of like they're putting him over as in the perception that he's a goody two shoes and all this, but he's just he's just also this MMA fighter. And like if he would have come in there with more attitude and you know seem more like a badass like Brock Lesnar, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I and- think it would it would have been a whole different rocket ship for. Shamrock versus what they strapped him with, and I and I'm not saying that he isn't a badass human being because he is, but, right? But also, you tell me if I'm wrong, but those times that Shamrock would like, like, what did I say, flip out or whatever, it's like Shamrock's going crazy, Shamrock's going insane, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, 
I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful to the man because I know he's a badass human being. But when he would do that, I would not feel intimidated. It would make me laugh. Because right. it just came when he when it's he tried to, when he tried to be intense like that, it just came off as so goofy, if that makes sense. Right. It's like this guy's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean too, he all right, he did he already didn't have the height thing. You know, in his mm-hmm. favor, there. It's like me at independent wrestling shows. So, you know, I also do ring announcing, but they don't want me to ring announce in the ring because I'm taller than most of the wrestlers. So, right. you don't want to give off that perception. So, I mean, there were, there might have been better ways to to do the whole thing with them. Like even strap them up with somebody bigger. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Give him, give him a big heater, like okay, he's that badass. But then having, having do the chicken shit stuff because I mean that probably could have worked for Kid Shamrock. I mean, he had the personality to do it. Yeah, I mean that's what I was gonna say. To me, the best, give the best character, the best dry shit. Yeah, the best stuff he ever did in the WWF to me, as Aaron knows, I wasn't a big fan. But the best stuff he ever did in the WWF was just when he was in the uh, corporation with the boss man. That was my favorite Ken Shamrock stuff. Yeah. You know, so kind of what you're talking about there. You know, it's him and another guy around his size, maybe a little taller. And he's a badass, but he's kind of a, a douchebag badass, you know. Right. And, and see, in, and, this, in, in this situation, like I said, I, I don't like when, and the brawl for all is a different thing. And I didn't like the brawl for all. Don't get me wrong, but that was that was legit shit. They had those guys going out there fighting each other. What I don't like is when wrestling tries to do, like I said, like worked shoot shit. Like Ken Shamrock before he got in the UFC. Guess what he was before he got in the UFC? He was a professional. He was wrestler. a wrestler. Professional wrestler. I would have preferred them to do this in almost like a um, um, cactus type Vader feud. Not saying that Shamrock is on on like Cactus's level or whatever, but this should have just been a straight up wrestling feud, in my opinion. And it would have been great. It would have been this big fat. I should say this bigger bully guy going up against this littler guy that's like I don't want you to like the bully thing was cool but when they did the whole fake shoot fight thing I didn't like it at all no it to me that whole thing with him and Vader was lame that's just my opinion I it it sucked man I done told you my favorite thing about Ken Shamrock was his sister anyways Like if this is supposed like the the dumbest thing out of the whole thing to me is in this match just the 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 uh, the compass of this match is if this is supposed to be a shoot fight okay that's fine but what shoot fight have you ever seen where like a big fat guy goes for a moonsault <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I get where you're coming like, from. That. And, and, and if it's a shoot fight, have him throwing those big meat hooks. 
I'm sure both of you guys have seen a bar fight in your life. One or two bar fights in your life, right? <laughs> when have you ever seen a guy knock a guy down in a bar fight and be like, all right, I'm going to get up on top of the bar now and I'm going to do a, <laughs> a backflip. I'm going to moonsault the guy now. It's never happened. That's great. Ever. Like, like that's where it was just like, eh. I, I, the, the whole concept of the work shoot fight thing just totally took me out of it. This should have just been two guys beating the shit out of each other and just calling it a fucking wrestling match and being like, this shit got out of hand or whatever, in my opinion. Yeah, whatever. Whenever you said it like that, that I swear my head just went like it sounds like you should be in the leading scene for varsity blues or something. <laughs> um the suplex that Vader um the suplex that they hit on the outside was crazy. Vader ends up missing the moonsault, which like I said was stupid, because if this is like some kind of shoot fight, why would somebody in a shoot fight go for a moonsault and then Shamrock ends up getting Vader into his leg lock um, after Vader misses the moonsault and then Vader ends up tapping out and if this would have just been billed as something other than a um, quote unquote shoot fight I would have thought oh that was a good match but them trying to bill it as a shoot fight I was just like, eh. It was pretty lame. The best part about it <clears throat> to me was the major promo at the like before the pre-match. Just because uh, I laughed at like you, you think about it, better cut some pretty decent promos. <clears throat> but the whole the whole promo that he cut here, I I laughed. Through it for some reason, it was just the way he said everything. Because like he's so aggressive and, and just shouting the whole time. It, it's hurting time. It's hurting time. It's like Jesus, dude. <laughs> yeah, I just like I said, if it wouldn't have been billed as anything other than a shoot fight, I think it would have been all right. But somebody get the big guy at a rock. So we're rolling into our main event, and um, I'm going to be um, hopefully popped because I don't remember why I time stamped the Steve Austin promo, but Nate says I don't have to share it, right? Right. Cause you can just hear it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's play this. Let's play the Steve Austin promo and see what happened. Cold Steve Austin, your battle for the World Wrestling Federation title against the Undertaker just moments away, and Jr. alluding to those five seats. The Hart Foundation will be in the damn about five empty seats. Because all that means is that the Hart family is going to be that much closer to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And after I whip the Undertaker's ass, I'll take all five of them and send all five of them straight back to Calgary in a bunch of wheelchairs. I don't know if the Undertaker's checked the weather lately, but I'll be damned if hell ain't about to freeze over. And that's the bottom line. 
Let's take a look at the Stone Cold Stunner, if you would. Steve Austin is already making his way to ringside. Uh, but as you can see, his confrontation with The Undertaker two weeks ago on Raw is war. Gives him the knee to the midsection. There it is, the Stone Cold Stunner. Will The Undertaker be able to recover from that tonight if it's hit by Stone this. Cold Steve Austin? You can see the taunting going on by Stone Cold. He is ready. The Undertaker did recover there. What's it going to be like? Bam! Tombstone pile driver right there. <laughs> That's what it Which was. move will come out on top tonight? The World Wrestling Federation title on the line. That's what it was. It's not a visual thing, or it is a visual thing. It's not a. It's not a thing you can hear. Pettengill said, "Oh, tombstone." <laughs> Doomstone pile drive, and it was a choke slam. <laughs> Good job, Todd. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so that was a bust. Sorry, guys. This whole show's a fucking bust. Um, <laughs> the one thing I'll say don't edit is, that part out. <laughs> no, leave it. Anyway, this show's a fucking bust. Um. I will say this, Nate, and and we've been talking about this this nine the year that was ninety seven dot 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 since obviously the beginning of ninety seven, and I told you at the beginning of it, it was weird hearing the glass break and people not like losing their fucking minds. Yeah, <clears throat> this was honestly the first show in my opinion, that when he comes out, the entire fucking crowd is behind him. Like, well, look at the... Look at what has happened. Look at what has happened on the Raws that you've discussed since the last pay-per-view. They have put... They have put... And, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a testament to him and Brett, but it's also a testament to, to the promotion they have put so much emphasis on his character and let him develop so much in just a 30 day period with the ambulance angle with, uh, you know, all of that stuff going on. They have put so much on him that <clears throat> the crowd, does what I'm saying makes sense. I don't know where my train of thoughts going, but it's just the way he's been promoted over the past, even 30 days has, has, has projected him from mid card heel that's kind of a pain in Bret Hart's ass to major he's, player. Yeah, like like like, I said, like he is he's over now. Yeah, like over. In opinion, like, I mean, look, like, look at what they did. They they strapped him with Taker and Bret, and they knew that was going to elevate him to that next level because he was getting over. You know what I'm saying? Because you got both of those guys, and those are the most solid fucking workers on your roster. And you know this, as Vincent Rand knew this. You know what I'm saying? So put them with them, boom, you ain't got no choice but for them to, to blow the fuck up like crack in the 80s. Like, like <laughs> obviously, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a inside wrestling person or whatever and I don't know if they were hearing at their fucking house shows or anything like that and 
I know looking at it in in 2022, what was going on going on in '97. But as I'm watching this shit, like this is the first show that if I would have been a if I would have been Vince McMahon or Bruce Prichard in 1997 and sitting at this fucking cold day in hell show and that glass broke and that crowd popped, that would have been the minute I was like, Ooh, holy shit. Like this dude's the fucking guy. Cause this fucking crowd went out of their fucking minds and it took a lot for taker it's, I, I think it was Taker, honestly, that did it. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna cheer him against Steve, or they're gonna cheer him against Brett, and they're gonna cheer him against Sean, and they're gonna cheer him against Vader. But the minute they start cheering him against Taker in 1997 in the WWF, that's when your fucking mind needs to go, holy shit, this fucking dude is the fucking man. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. because who who's more over than Taker? Well, now it's fucking Austin because right. they reacted more to him favorably than Taker, and it um uh, and if I'm wrong, Nate, you can tell me, or Mark, you can tell me. I think this is Austin's first main event of a pay per view. Yes. Um, Taker and Austin have a stare down. Um, Austin ends up jumping Taker, um, who still has his belt on, his gimmicks, and all that shit. Um, they brawl outside the ring. Um, the Heart Foundation finally shows up. I I forgot to mention that the Hearts took their time getting to their seats. They probably get popcorn and Slurpees and shit. I know how it is. You're standing in line trying to get the show. Um, <laughs> you don't make it to the main event. I've been there. I was, I was at a fucking show with Nate and we were trying to get um, popcorn and some drinks, and we told his wife, who hadn't been to a wrestling show, I think, was that her first wrestling show? Yes. That went in Fort Wayne? Mm-hmm. We told Kendall, we told Kendall, hold the seats, we'll go get, we'll go get the refreshments and the, and the food, and we went to go do it, and then um, the lights went out and shit, and Nate was like, Kendall's over there by herself, and I was like, "Fuck him!" Not, not <laughs> I said, I, "I said." Nate was like, "I want to see the show." I said, "Fuck it, not fuck her, but fuck it." I was like, "We still got the national anthem. <laughs> They're still gonna play the national anthem. We got a minute before we got at least three minutes before the action." But anyway. Um, and then they did play the national anthem, and Nate was like, "Oh, we don't have to run. We're good." I was like, yeah. God bless America. Um, I don't know why I went into that. Um, but anyway, Nate can edit that out. Um, Taker and Austin. Oh, that's why. 
because you said fucking the Hart Foundation took forever to get down to the fucking first row. They had to cut through all those people. They had to get peanuts and Cracker Jacks, and they don't care if Vince calls back. They just have to get down there, and they get there, um, and Austin ends up jumping the Undertaker. He still has all his, his gimmicks on his belt. Um, Austin and Taker wind up on the floor. Um, Austin ends up pulling over and attacking Owen Hart, which distracts him, and Taker ends up taking advantage. They wind up in the ring, um, and then they roll into their back and forth, but the big story is the fact that the Hearts are at ringside. Um, And when I was watching this... You guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think Brett being hurt changed the direction of this pay-per-view. Because I think this pay-per-view was supposed to be Austin, Taker, and Brett. I think it was supposed to be a three-way. And since Brett fucked up his knee, they couldn't do it. And that's why they... That's why they injected the hearts being out there at ringside and all that shit to have their their fuckery or whatever in this match. I, I that's just what I think. Um, Austin um, ends up kicking the Undertaker low, and he flips off Earl Hebner um, behind his back, which gets a big pop. Um, Taker ends up. Um, Alright, it says that at one point when it looked like Austin was about to land, Pimmer reached over and rang the bell prematurely, causing a distraction. In the end, the Undertaker pinned Steve Austin, followed moments later by Neidhart, Owen Hart, Bulldog, and Pillman attacking both wrestlers. Moments later, Steve Austin knocked Bret Hart out of his wheelchair and then used one of Hart's crutches as a weapon to chase all the members of the Hart Foundation off. I like how Austin uses a cripple to his advantage. Yeah, that's where I got lost in my notes because I put Hunter, I put Austin got the stunner on Taker, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where yeah. I got. I'm sorry. What? I, I put, I, I read it. I read my notes like Austin hit a stunner on Brian, Brian Pillman and then he rung the bell. Like, I'm a, I'm a fucking idiot. Um, like I said, Austin ends up hitting that stunner and then Pillman jumps the rail and rings the bell before the pin even happens. And that's where all the chaos happens. And, um, and like Mark said, he, he, he summed it up really good. Um, this match was very much a, attitude match before the added before we really got into the attitude era there was a lot of bells and whistles and brawling outside the ring and chicanery going on around it and um, I just thought it was really good and like I said I think it was ultimately when they went into it I think it was supposed to be Brett versus Taker versus Austin and they weren't able to do that because Brett got hurt and the 
pay-per-view as a whole I thought was enjoyable. The only thing I didn't really like was Shamrock and Vader. But other than that, I think it was a it was a pretty good show. I agree. The secondary most of the secondary pay-per-views in ninety seven were really good. Um <clears throat> good work, good storytelling, um multi layered storytelling, which which it's a nuance that it, it, to be honest with you, in the WWE, the only year that that company ever had multi-layered storytelling was 1997. Um, I know the Attitude Era; <clears throat> people love the Attitude Era. They think back on it fondly, and it was it was fun. But you look back on it now, and it wasn't near as good as people think it was. No, and just, and the, the years yeah, before. Yeah, and the years before 97, the new generation era was fun just watching the WWF change from, you know, the guys like Hogan and stuff into more straight-up wrestlers like Brett. 97, that, that bridge year between the new generation and the Attitude Era, oh. that's why I always say it's the best year because it was – they were telling such multi-layered, nuanced stories and developing characters in ways that I don't think they ever have – they never did before and they haven't since it's just this odd gear that isn't necessary. It's an era unto itself. And that's why it's my favorite year. You know, I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that I can look at. I mean, there's stuff you can look at and go, well, that was goofy, but that was cause they were throwing something against the wall to see what would fucking work. But yeah, rock overall, and yeah. Goofy. So yeah. Was- I mean, and it's like I say every week when we talk about reliving the extreme, no matter how good a wrestling show is, there's always going to be something that's stupid. You know, that's just the way it is. But anyway. But I'd still watch, I'd still rather watch Rockabilly over fucking, um, who's that fucking guy that was supposed to be woke on NXT? Oh, um, shit. I don't remember. I'd you still know, rather be Archie. that'd be Archie's area. <laughs> we know what I'm talking about. Like I, I'd rather watch Rockabilly fucking fight Jesse James and watch fucking Von Wagner, the fucking dude on NXT. Uh, fucking <laughs> Von Wagner. I'm not gonna try to mention NXT guys. I'm just saying I'd rather watch that shit than what's going on now. And. It could be because I'm fucking 39 years old and what you saw as a kid is what you remember liking, but anyway, we're not going to get into that type of debate. 